Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Headlines on Fox News read, filled with hate, witnesses say Oregon gunmen targeted Christians in community college shooting. Another headline read, the day Christians were martyred on American soil. I had said a few months ago that when we were going through 1 Peter, that when the Supreme Court had legalized same-sex marriage, that the persecution in America towards Christians was going to ramp up. The reason I said that is because whenever your biblical values conflict with the cultural values, the hate from the culture comes at you from the world. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus did say that. He said, look, they hated me first. If the world hates you, know that they hated me first. And we see that in times like we're living in, in the direction that we're gravitating in, and the unraveling of our values is going to cause a lot more hate towards Christians, if you're really a Christian. Once again, I have to clarify that. What I consider really a Christian is someone who lives out their faith during the week, not somebody who just attends church, not somebody who comes here on a Sunday morning, but takes what's preached, lives it out in their life, and lives according to the Holy Scriptures. That's what a Christian is. And we're finding out that we're now encroaching upon territory that is similar to what John, the apostle, and the churches were facing in the first century A.D. John says... And that's what we lead into concerning our first point. I want you to notice John's situation on Patmos. John's situation on Patmos. That's the first point I want to talk about. Before we get into this marvelous vision of Jesus Christ, we know that John was exiled on the island of Patmos. Patmos was the Alcatraz of that day. It was about 12 miles long. It was about 6 miles wide. It was out in the ocean, miles away from any type of uh, dry land, and people in the days of Rome would be exiled to these islands. It was a form of punishment, just like when we built Alcatraz. We sent prisoners to Alcatraz. Al Capone had a cell out at Alcatraz, and that was his home for some time. And in the day of the Apostle John, people would be exiled to these islands. Island of Patmos was one of those that we see John was exiled too, and it wasn't for a crime that he had committed. The Bible says that according to that verse 9, that he was exiled to Patmos for what? The Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. This was common in the day of John. This was nothing strange. In fact, he says to the churches that I am your brother and I am your companion in the tribulation. This isn't speaking about the great tribulation that's yet to come in the book of Revelation. This is speaking about the tribulation that they are currently undergoing. Jesus said also that in this world you will have 
tribulation, John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 33, that we will not escape it as believers. But he is exiled for the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, common during the early church. This was natural. I, you know, what Franklin Graham said is so true. We're now facing persecution, the persecution of Christians on American soil as they are persecuting Christians in other countries across seas. We've read about it. We've studied it. We've seen the different ministries bring it to our attention. Now it's finally on our home soil. And we, minimal, are going to face hatred for standing on our biblical values. Once again, if you're not living for Christ, don't expect it. But already the leadership of this church has faced many different situations where we have gone under the fire for standing up for what the Bible says. Not what popular culture says, but what for the Bible says. When Paul was preaching the gospel on his first missionary journey, him and Barnabas they went around Galatia, and they're preaching the gospel, and they go back, and they go to strengthen the churches. And here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 22. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. Why would they even need to go back and strengthen the disciples? It tells you, saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. It isn't easy to live for Christ. We find that out. In John's day, we see that the setting is for the book of Revelation, which is so cool, I think, because the book of Revelation is about bringing comfort to suffering believers in this fallen world, encouraging us through the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in future messages. But here's John. Situation is no different. We're now going to start facing things like this, and you better be prepared. It is in this type of setting where Jesus reveals himself very powerfully. Look at verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Notice what John says there. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. There's a lot of discussion on what is the Lord's day. Some people believe it's Sunday morning. Other people believe that it is the day of the Lord that's spoken of in future references in the book of Revelation. I personally believe it is Sunday morning. The early church did change to worshiping on Sunday morning, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's not even the point in that verse 10. The point is he was in the Spirit. Can you imagine John on the island of Patmos, separated from his family, separated from everything he knew and was raised, and in isolation on the island of Patmos, in the midst of his suffering, what's he doing? He's worshiping. He's worshiping. That is an encouragement to me that here he is, not in the flesh, here he is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then look, Jesus reveals himself in a powerful way. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We talked about that. I'll mention first and last in a moment. And what you see right in a book 
Send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. That group of churches, by the way, there were more than seven in that area. There were a number of churches. There was Hierapolis, was a great church just across from Laodicea. But why these seven? Because they made a circular route. So when the letters were sent, it was like a postman. If you've got a postman that delivers mail on your block, you know that he doesn't go zigzag everywhere. He goes in an order. And these churches on a map are in order and circular motion, so it was real easy to get these letters to them swiftly, but also these were key administrative centers in the ancient world at that time. So when these churches would receive the book of Revelation, when they were read to them, it was easy to disperse them to other areas and other Christians that were undergoing suffering at the time. But here's what I think we need to understand here as we look at these verses. And the situation of John on Patmos is John teaches you and I a couple things. Number one, don't compromise. Don't compromise. In a day where it is so easy to compromise our faith because of the pressure. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're, you're receiving this incredible pressure to just back up a little bit. I mean, why do you have to be so zealous? Isn't that what they call us? They either call us zealots, they call us Jesus freaks, or they call us Bible thumpers. See? Ten of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Look at John. Can you imagine the pressure he's under? When you see in the churches, when we get into chapter 2 and 3, you see where there's a martyr. You're going to see that people, it wasn't just John facing exile, and everything that he knew in his homeland to go live in isolation pretty much on Patmos, but there were actually Christians dying at the time, and the pressure that we receive continues to mount. It continues to mount and mount and mount. Just back up a little bit. Just back up a little bit. Don't need to talk about Jesus everywhere you go. But John didn't compromise. He's on the island for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, not for spitting in somebody's face, not for ridiculing a ruler, not for disobeying the governmental laws at the time. It was for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. We live in a compromising day to day. You know it. People are compromising not only in the biblical values by watching trash they shouldn't watch, by saying trash they shouldn't say, but also in renouncing their faith and not being bold to talk about Jesus or the Word of God, the very thing that this world needs more than anything. Another thing John teaches us here is that we should worship no matter what. I like this because John isn't complaining about his circumstances. John is there in the Spirit. I like that because you can find verses in the Bible where you find the Spirit contrasted with the flesh. And is it not true that when we go through certain circumstances in our life that it is so easy to get into the flesh? It is so easy to get angry. It is so easy to get bitter. It is so easy to take revenge into our own hands. It is so easy to do all those things. It's it's so easy. 
to curse God. I've heard people get mad before. In a grocery store line, they didn't know I was standing behind them in the checkout. Look, there are pictures on the screen. Go ahead and show it. (laughs) But I heard the GD word. For what? Because the checkout lady didn't move fast enough? We're talking about serious circumstances in the Bible, and here's John worshiping. He's in the Spirit, not in the flesh. It's the Spirit that pleases God. You know, you keep sowing to the flesh, that's what you're going to reap. You're going to reap death, the Bible says. You sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life. And this that's going on in John's life was not an overnight thing. He traveled with Jesus. He was trained by Jesus. He understood what the kingdom of God was all about. And there was a spiritual maturity in his life that brought him to the point of facing these circumstances where he's not going to sit on a rock on an island and watch birds all day. He's going to worship He's not going to curse God. And so this is the setting. Don't compromise. We we saw where Kim Davis, right, the clerk that went to jail because she didn't want to issue licenses for same-sex marriage. And whatever your stance is on that, you can't argue with me about one thing. She didn't compromise her values. She didn't compromise the Word of God. She did something that many Christian clerks in this country would not do. And she was willing to go to jail for her faith. She was willing to go to Patmos. And here, God honors that. You guys, you need to see this. There's something about living in the circumstances that are going contrary to what we believe to be peace. And God speaks to those people that worship during these times. God speaks to those people. The next thing I want to move on to is John's vision. I can't camp there for right now, but John's vision of Christ in verses 12 to 17, first part of of 17, when John hears the voice, he turns around according to verse 12, and having turned, he saw seven golden lampstands. Those seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. We know that by verse 20 of this chapter. Verse 20, Jesus interprets what those lampstands are, and they are the seven churches. They're seen as a lampstand, or more specifically, what John probably was referring to was the menorah that would sit in the temple. You had the holy place where the table of showbread was. You had the altar of incense, and you had the menorah. The menorah was right there, and the menorah was the only thing in the holy place that gave light to the priests that were going in to do their priestly duties. And so that's probably what is being referred to here on the golden lampstands, because the church is the light of the world. The church is the light of the world. We are are seen as the light of the world. And when Jesus is present among the church, the church is truly dispensing the light of Christ. And so we see that John turns around and he sees the seven lampstands, but look what he sees in the midst of them. Verse 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. One like the Son of Man. Jesus used this term most often of himself. When you read the Gospels, you see it all over the place, that he identified himself 
as the Son of Man. This is a messianic title that comes out of Daniel chapter 7. If you find yourself reading Daniel and reading Revelation, you're going to see many correlations because what was predicted of in the book of Daniel, especially concerning the Messiah, you find in the book of Revelation. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 says, I was watching in the night visions, this is Daniel, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. This is a specific reference to the Messiah that God promised. That was written hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up on the scene. And then Jesus before the Sanhedrin in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, when he's under scrutiny, Jesus says to the religious leaders, it is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So that was a term for the Messiah. Why the Son of Man? Jesus seen as the Son of God. He's seen as the Son of Man. He used Son of Man more than any other title of himself in the Gospels. And the reason is because that speaks of his humanity. He identifies with you and me if you understand that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he is both God and man, and to think that God would come down to earth and walk amongst mankind, very different than the gods that they served. Those false gods that they served were distant. They were sitting on a throne throwing lightning bolts at their subjects, but here you've got God who would come down and suffer on our behalf, and he can identify with you this morning. If you ever have the thought, no one understands what I'm going through, I got to tell you something. There's one person that does, and that is Jesus. He understands what you're going through. So now John, seeing Jesus, what did he see? He sees this incredible vision of Jesus, this mind-blowing. It is a vision that he sees that talks about his relationship to his church. It, It talks about who he is to the church. And I understand it's in symbols, but they're not symbols that can't be understood or interpreted. And so as we unfold this, the first thing I want you to understand is that Jesus rules the church. Jesus rules the church. In the midst of the seven lands stands one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. A lot of people interpret this, that this is speaking of Jesus' priestly duty to the church, and it isn't, because the long robe would go down to the feet of the priest, but he wasn't the only one that wore long robes in that day. Dignitaries wore long robes, but they also wore a golden sash across their chest. So what this is really speaking of is not Jesus' priestly role, but his role as the ruler of the church. He is the dignitary that is owed all respect. He is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. In the New Testament, this pictures him. One scripture I'll give you is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Christ is the ruler of the church. Secondly, Jesus is the wisdom of the church. Look at the verse 14. Beginning says, His head and hair were white like wool, and white as snow. 
Daniel again saw this vision of Christ, of the Messiah, and he sees the same white hair in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. In ancient culture, if somebody had white hair, like I'm starting to get, this is reassuring to me, that in ancient culture, the white hair indicated both dignity and accumulated wisdom from years of experience. The white hair speaks of wisdom. Christ is the wisdom of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Paul spoke of this. He said, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, the apostle Paul writes again of Jesus Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the wisdom of the church, and the church needs to understand that because the church today is going off course trying to gain wisdom from the world, and they're looking in all the wrong places in building their church. They're not seeking the Lord. They're not seeking God. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that God provides wisdom liberally if you just go to Him for it. I mean, how many of you in the midst of your trials, and that's what it's speaking of in James, in the midst of your trials, how many of you have ever gone to the Lord in wisdom? Or do you go to somebody else first? Do you make a phone call? Do you have this 911 guy that you always call, or this 911 girl that you always call because you just know that they're going to give you the right counsel? Well, the wisdom lies within Jesus Christ. Yes, it's easier to make a phone call than it is to seek the Lord. The church as a whole in America has disdained the wisdom of God. The church as a whole in America is looking towards the wisdom of the world, and you can be sure of that by the decisions that they began to make. Christ is the wisdom of the church. But not only that, listen to this, Jesus knows the church. Jesus knows the church. Look what it says. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. X-ray vision. How many have seen Superman before? Man, when I was growing up, I thought, man, that'd be cool to look through walls and to just, I mean, the balcony to be able to see their eyes and know that they're sleeping up there. <laughs> X-ray vision is true, but it's only true with God. His eyes that are aflame speak of his ability to know the heart. It speaks of his ability to know the heart. God doesn't look at appearance. He doesn't. He looks at the heart. We see this in 1 Samuel when Samuel was going to find the future king of Israel. In chapter 16, verse 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God sees our heart. That's an amazing thing. Jesus knows our hearts, and the proof of that is is going to be in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 when Jesus sees the heart of those seven churches. 
He knows the heart of the church. In the first one, Ephesus, they're going to be commended for their good works. They're going to be commended. If you looked at the church of Ephesus from an outward appearance, you would say, man, that is one church I want to be like. They're working in the community. They're doing a lot of social stuff out there. They're reaching people. They're holding steadfast to the doctrine. They're guarding the truth and everything else. And from all external appearances, you would say, that is a church that I want to be like. But Jesus sees the heart of the church and he says, you have lost your first love. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.